This is the Spurs Cast with your host, Paul Garcia. And welcome back to another episode of the Spurs Cast. In today's episode, I'll be joined by Project Spurs writer Colin Reed. Colin and I will discuss the Spurs' 12-game losing streak and the three-point battle. Let's go ahead and jump right into this episode with Colin. Colin, how have you been? I have been doing well, you know. Uh, at least it's not a 13-game losing streak, so things could be worse. So you and I are recording this on a um, Tuesday evening, so <laughs> they, they don't play till Thursday at the Spurs, so... <laughs> You know, maybe they, they can avoid that. But hey, Colin, it's been a while since I've been on the Spurs cast. I had recorded right before Thanksgiving, the week before. So the Spurs have actually gone through a bunch of games since the last time I was on, I was on the air. Um, and it's been a while since you've been on some. I'm really eager to get your opinion on, on how the team's doing, you know, in the midst of, like you said, this 12-game losing streak that could potentially turn into 13 games. So let's do a quick little recap of the last six games because there has been a lot of games since I last recorded a Spurs cast episode. So let's go back to way back to November 17th. It's a Friday night in San Antonio. It's an in-season tournament game. The Spurs are hosting the Sacramento Kings. The Spurs lead by 18 points. The Kings come back and lead by 16 points. And then the Spurs fight back and they lose by just nine points. And the reason why I'm saying this is because there's it's going to be a little bit of a theme in some of these games for San Antonio. Then on the second night of a back-to-back, the Spurs are hosting the Memphis Grizzlies, who are without multiple players, key players to their team. And yes, I know the Spurs are second out of back-to-back, but they still should have probably beat this Memphis team when no. The Spurs lead by 19 points in this game. The Grizzlies come back and lead by 12, and the San Antonio can't even get it to crunch time. They end up losing this game by 12 points to the Grizzlies on the second out of back-to-back. And, and we, you know, the, the Grizzlies are one of those teams that they should be at this point just because of, the, you know, just where their, their roster's at. Then on Monday this last week, the Spurs are hosting the Los Angeles Clippers in one of two games. The Clippers, this was pretty much a blowout. The Spurs competed for about a half, and then um, the Clippers led by 28, and it was pretty much over. The Spurs lost by 25 on this one. Then two nights later on Wednesday, the Spurs are hosting the Clippers again. The Clippers lead by by 18 in this game. However, the Spurs actually fight back. They get it. They, they, they do lose by seven, but they get it all the way down to crunch time. Victor Wembanyama starts a string of three games in a row with 22 points where he scores um, 22 points on 13 shots, uh, gets to the free throw line seven times, get, grabs 15 rebounds, and has three blocks against the Clips. Then on Friday, the Spurs travel to um, Golden State and play the Warriors on the road. The Spurs led early by 10 points. Then the Warriors come back and lead by 18. Again, same theme. Spurs fight back. They get it down to crunch time, put pressure on the Warriors, but Golden State comes up with a win by six. Wemby finishes with 22 points on 18 shots, five free throw attempts, nine rebounds, four assists, um, six turnovers, and two blocks. And then the most recent loss came on Sunday. The Spurs are on the road at Denver, who are missing um, Jamal Murray. They're missing Aaron Gordon. And um, the Nuggets um, basically led by 28 in this one. Um, uh, They led by 28, but the Spurs fought back again but didn't get it to crunch time, but they lost by 12. Uh, Wemby uh, uh, finishes with 22 points and 17 shot attempts, seven free throw attempts, 11 rebounds, a new career high, six steals and four blocks. So I know that's a lot of information there. The Spurs Vegas said they should have gone 0-6 and they went 0-6, which puts them um, in in the midst of this 12-game losing streak. What are your thoughts on um, one, like just, you know, the the, kind of the theme where they're not just getting blown out anymore. They're actually fighting back. And then two, uh, just Wemby's performances in some of these games recently. Yeah, so I think um, a big deal here that I've been trying to highlight on Twitter is not just looking at the record because I don't think the record is going to be very good this year. I don't. I I think that was a controversial thing to say 17 games ago, Mm -hmm. but I think that everyone has accepted that that is the reality we live in. I think there's a lot of reasons for that, and one of the reasons is this is the first time since I've been like an avid NBA fan that I can remember the NBA being this deep. Like it is 21 or 22 teams, like quality deep. Yes. 
Um, which is hard to have their first season like this. I actually think it's a blessing in disguise for some reasons, but I think, you know, it's difficult because there are no easy wins on the calendar. Mm-hmm. Now, you look at things like, okay, that first Clippers game was pretty bad. And then in the second one, they fought harder and they came close. The process looked better. The Warriors game, the process looked better. The Nuggets game, the process looked better. And in these games, they still end up losing, but you can at least see things in there where you're like, okay, that is something that we can see the Spurs are growing on. And and right now for me, I'm watching these games. I think that there's going to be more than just Vassell and Wimby on the next good Spurs roster, but I know those two will be on it. So I'm watching these games and looking at how those two are playing in particular. If they're playing well, then you walk away and say, okay, these are going to be two key figures on the next like Spurs playoff team. So to see Wimby have that three-game stretch where he had 22-22-22, it felt like after that little Suns back-to-back, he had a time where he was kind of just like physically worn out, and he's kind of come out of that because he he looked so good to start the season, and I feel like there was a little bit of a like a dip in just output, and now I feel like that's ticked back up in the right direction. So those are all exciting things to see. Um, I think the one loss that I'm really looking at here that the Spurs should have won, they could have won, and the one where I'm not happy with the process would be that Grizzlies loss. Like you said, it there doesn't matter if they were on the second night of back-to-back. They were missing Jaw. They were missing Marcus Smart, the Grizzlies were. And at a certain point, you know, I, I think the only reason they went up by 19 in the first place was because um, Jaron Jackson Jr. was in foul trouble in the first half because Jaron Jackson Jr. was just unstoppable for the Spurs team. There's nothing they could do to stop him on either end. Uh, and, you know, when he wasn't in foul trouble and he was allowed to play for a whole half, he kind of destroyed. So so I think overall, you know, the record is 0-6. I, I look at these last three games as progress um, and that they're heading in the right direction. I don't think that will translate to wins anytime in the immediate future. But I do think it's like, you know, okay, well, we're not changing how we feel about Wimby and Devin. Like, we still know that they are those, like, very talented players who, when they have the right core around them, can probably uh, be a part of a pretty good team. Okay. And I, see, I look at it more so like that. I mean, it's almost like a cliche to say it's a 48 minute game, but there's parts of this team that, that show a really good team out there at times. Like you like um, one part is that the fact that they're always almost leading by 10. A lot of these games, they, they have a pretty good double digit um, uh, reputation for building a double digit, leave and not holding it. Obviously I think they're like one in like six or something. I don't, I don't remember the mm-hmm. number. I, I have it somewhere in my, one of my spreadsheets. Anyway, they have a, a, a tendency to build those leads. So that's a good sign. The fact that they can actually um, jump out on teams. And then now it's, it's putting that second piece together, which is like starting to make some of these comebacks. Obviously they don't result in wins, like you said, but the fact that they're not just getting blown out by 40 now, and you're just accepting that, like they're actually trying to fight back. It's a good sign to see that in these six losses, only one of them ended up being a pretty much a blow, which was that, that first Clippers game. So that's part of it. It's like, you know, I, I know it's a cliche thing to say 48 minute game but like there there there's some mixture of that in there that that they can be potentially a good team um down the road now i don't know about like you said i don't know if this is the roster to do that but they're showing some signs of some improvement just even in the, in these losses of the way that they're fighting back and, and you know trying to try to make games out of it with some of these really good teams 
Okay, so now let's talk about where they are through 17 games. As you said, you know, you don't want to focus too much on the record. They're three and 14 overall um, on that 12 game losing streak. Offensively, 28th, um, scoring 106.3 points per 100. Defensively, for me, this is an improvement, man. They were like 30th when I last recorded a podcast. So they're 27th right now. And I think that's kind of what is one of my, 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 um, my, my thoughts are in, entering the season. You know, can they at least get to like 20 to 25? That's, I think that's improvement defensively. You can at least get there by the end of the year. And it's only 17 games in. So again, they're making a small little increments of improvement, but some of these numbers, um, defensively recently have been pretty good for them. Um, the end season tournament, they're obviously eliminated. They went 0 and 4 in this is in their first year in the end season tournament. Um, currently, um, when I pulled these records, it was Monday night. It was, uh, they were tied with the Pistons who are on a 14 game losing streak and the wizards, um, as teams with the worst records, which means obviously if this were to be the, the situation down the end of the road, they'd be right back where they were last year with a chance for the number one pick once more. And so saying all of this, I just want to ask you a quick thought because this is something that's kind of just going through my mind um, lately. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tweet that I have that I kind of pinned my, like, like, or liked, I guess it's like in your bookmarks kind of thing. It's from media day. Uh, when pop said this, I'm back on media on October 2nd, he said, winning is as important this year as learning was in the past. Now there's, uh, you know, so, so when you say that, I feel like it, it kind of sets up some sort of expectations. Uh, you know, my, my expectations were too, too high for this team, I, but I even like Vegas had like 29.3 wins. Um, some of the models had like between like 33 and 36 wins. Um, and, and there is still a lot of season left. There's still 79% of the season left, but just about a month, almost two months removed. Cause we're almost in December here. So two months removed from that quote coming out. What do you, what are your thoughts on that quote? Like, what do you, do you think, you know, what would just, just give me your thoughts on that? Like how, how it is now two months later. Yeah, it's very interesting because there's a part of me that wants to say, well, they're doing things. And, you know, we're going to get into this as the podcast goes on. They're doing things right now that's going to influence winning down the road. But I don't think that's what Pop was talking about. You know, um, I think there was an interview in the preseason when they were about to play the Warriors in one of those preseason games where they talked to Steve Kerr. And he had said that, you know, Pop is very excited about like having a team that can like get some wins again after kind of having a couple of rough years. And I think the preseason, they looked like a more competitive team than they are right now. I mean, it was one of those things where Wimby had like a usage rate of like 30, 33% and a true shooting of like 66%. Like that's insane. Uh, that was the preseason, but I do think that what they saw, you know, with these mini camps that they were holding and with the preseason, um, I think they were a little bit of higher expectations mm -hmm. by the time they play New York, you know, they have that little video clip where people can see what pop is saying to Tom Thibodeau. And he's saying, you know, it's going to take a while. Yeah. Uh, and then we have in Manu, uh, this is very interesting. I know that, you know, it's more fun to watch wins and losses. If you're a Spurs fan, I can understand that. Um, I'm not going to convince anyone that it's not fun, but you know, I think the big telling thing to me is, when Manu went on the one-on-one -on -one video with Keldon Johnson and he was talking, no, no, sorry. It was a uh, Tony Parker's Tony podcast. Parker. Tony mm -hmm. Parker's podcast. And he said, it's going to be three years at least. Yeah. Um, that's not something that he, I, 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 I mean, I don't know this, but I'd be willing to bet good money that he came up with on his own. Like he is still a part of the Spurs organization in a pretty uh, involved way. I, I can guarantee you that that's what everyone from uh, president of basketball operations to player who has any chance of being here at all understands and is bought in on that this is going to take a couple of years. I think they thought there'd be more success in this season, but I do think that they understand, especially with how the season started, that, you know, you know, we're still aiming for a couple of years down the road. It's not going to work out quite that way. 
Something that I've been wondering recently is when they came into media day, um, I know Pop and a couple of the other players and some of the media members asked about just how much they had been practicing. They had been practicing a whole lot. Pop said they need to get these reps in. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I remember the first time people were really saying, oh man, uh, Wimby kind of looks gassed, was in that Toronto game that they ended up losing. I think those midday games are always kind of weird for players anyway. But, you know, it was probably, like I said, kind of until the stretch of 22 games. From that Raptors game to now, before he looked kind of like the the player that he was in that Suns back-to-back, do you think that obviously this is a young team and obviously they need experience, but do you think that there, there might've been a little bit of going too hard in these sessions and it kind of wore, you know, especially Wimby who he's used to the the schedule in Europe uh, mm-hmm. where that's maybe only one or two games a week and the training schedule is different. Um, and it seems like now he's maybe like getting more and more into that NBA conditioning. But do you think that maybe they kind of, set themselves back in the present with how hard they went with some of these training sessions. That, that that's, no, that's, that's a good theory. I'm not, you know, what, what that could be something there like, again, like, you know, we don't have, we don't have the proof, but like, it's like, you're, you're right. Maybe they, they went too much for me. It's more so those first five or five games teams didn't know who they were. It's kind of like a surprise to you. Mm-hmm. And then now teams have figured after five games, you kind of know what this team is. And so, you know, five, 10 games, that's more so where I'm at, but I, I can, I, I can see a, a side to that about, you know, they, they put all their adrenaline, all their effort into some of those games and just coming out right out the gate, like on fire, having all of this motivation. And then it, and it is harder to get that motivation back when you're losing constantly. Like, that's just like, you know, you can see the frustration on some of the players. So I think there is something to that, that maybe they overexerted themselves early on. And now it's like, it's like, where do they get that second gear from? And it's hard to find it now, especially when, you, when you're not winning games, you know, at least to, to at least feel good about yourself, um, at, you know, with all these, mount, these losses. Mount. So I think that's a good, you know, it's a good, it's a good thought there. Um, and then Wemby's mentioned too, like about just some of the different, um, like how he, how the Denver game recently, you know, he kind of felt that, you know, that the, the um, the fatigue a little bit from it, you know, going, going up into the, into the mile high and th- those kind of things. So there's, that, that's a good theory. I mean, again, so I, I think that it's just like a mixture of things. And again, for me, it's more so they, they kind of caught some teams by surprise. And by now, like it, it reminded me of last year, where like teams kind of know what they are as, an, as a team, what their identity is. And so they were more prepared for that. So, um, yeah, so, so again, so that, that's interesting. So, um, we're, we're both that just regarding that comment. So I just feel like it wouldn't be like, cause I, I you know, you probably get the same thing. Your mentions are probably blown up after every loss now where the, the fans are really upset. And I think a lot of them, you know, even pinned that, that quote to me, they send it back to me. It's like, you know, that's, I think that's what it was with like the kind of the bar was set a little bit differently. And now, I mean, I'm not saying it, I'm not saying they can be a good, you know, win some games this year. I mean, there's still 79% of the season left, almost 80% left. There's still a lot of games to be played. I think now that we're at that point, like you and I were talking about before we started recording, where you're kind of looking for like Memphis, Washington, you know, you're looking for those, where are they going to get those wins? And there's not that many, especially that a lot of the bad teams are on the East coast. So you only play them twice a year if you're San Antonio. So I think that that's that's a part of it too. All right. So for our next top topic, Colin, I want to um, I'm going to talk about the three point line battle. So um, when you look at the Spurs, they're scoring from two against their opponents. They're scoring from three, and they're scoring from the free throw line. The biggest difference um, is, is the is the three point line battle because I know we spent some time on Wemby before in this podcast. We talked about Sohan and the lineup and things like that. And so I kind of want to just look at the whole team, and then we'll kind of go into individual players, and we'll actually even do some some film observations here. 
So let's talk about the three-point line battle for the Spurs. And uh, this is, again, this is the, the biggest um, scoring difference um, regarding uh, their, their total points, where it comes from. So the Spurs so far this year through 17 games, they made 211 threes. Their opponents have made 249. That's a minus 114 points that they're getting outscored from the three-point line. Um, in makes per game, so they're they're averaging um, 12.4 makes, which is which is about league average, 16th. But their opponents are averaging 14.6 makes, which is 20, which San Antonio 28th. So that's a minus 6.6 points per game. That's the biggest scoring margin area there. The Spurs are shooting 34% from three as a team, which is 27th. Their opponents are shooting almost 40% um, uh, as a team, which is which is um, which ranks San Antonio 29th in defense on that area. So again, opponents are shooting almost 6% better than San Antonio from three. Plus, they're getting more threes um, than San Antonio. Uh, when the, the Spurs are 51% of the Spurs threes are attempted wide open. Um, and that's more so by design as we're about to talk about in a little bit. And then their opponents are carving their defense up and getting 58% of their threes attempted wide open. So that's a 7% difference. And then accuracy wise, um, the Spurs are making 36% of their, their wide open threes. Their opponents are making 41% of their wide open threes. Uh, so that's another 5% difference. And then you just look at the record. Um, the Spurs are two and five when winning the three point line. So again, I'm not saying it's magic. I mean, they still have a bad record two and five is not a great record, but it's, it's more wins there. Whereas when opponents win the three point line, it's there, the, the opponents are nine and one against San Antonio, 90% winning percentage right there. So just the raw numbers so far, what do anything stick out to you there before we dive into the players? Yeah, I think the two things that you like, they go into opponent three point shooting. Uh, attempts which you can control and like you said the fact that they have a high number of attempts is by design uh opponents you know the spurs scheme is kind of built around protecting other parts of the floor what is basically it's been talked about quite a bit and there's a lot of discussion about this and it goes into like some science and stats that i haven't looked quite into but the consensus is generally that opponent shooting percentage is basically luck so especially when it's wide open, right? Mm -hmm. So when there are 30 teams in the league and the Spurs have the third worst opponent shooting percentage on wide open shots, it's not like, um, I don't know, whatever team is in the first place. Uh, I know that the Magic were really high in that regard. They, they, they aren't doing anything from six feet away that's making their opponents miss at a rate that isn't for the Spurs. So I know it's not a very popular thing to hear right now when the team is on a 12-game losing streak. It's not an attempt to make an excuse, but I do think you have talked about their defense going from 20 to 25th being an improvement, and I actually have sort of, as I've looked at the numbers, believe that that's more of where they're at and that they've just gotten unlucky with opponent shooting. I think that 41%, you know, it's the third worst in the NBA. It's pretty high. I think, you know, that's wide open, and then open is from four to six feet. And opponents are making, I think it's like the sixth worst open mm -hmm. percentage. So they've had some bad opponent shooting luck um, on their side. And I do think that if that normalized to like a league average number, then they would start to look like that, you know, 20 to 25 range of defense, like what you're saying. And I think, you know, they are third worst in the league uh, now on the wide open threes uh, for opponents. but they were like second worst a week ago. And all of a sudden they went from like 29th to 27th on defensive rating or something like that. So, you know, you can see that some of this is luck and I'm not saying all of their defensive problems because they have a lot of other defensive problems they can't control. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy and delicious breads, buns and tortillas? 
These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. But for the opponent shooting wide open shots specifically, I do think that they've had kind of some bad luck there. Now, they're shooting definitely before they have this next playoff contender. Like, shooting is something they need to address. And, I, you know, one thing that I've kind of gotten tired of seeing, and, and this isn't to be mean to anyone or, like, to call anyone out or anything like that, but Keldon will have one good season from three. You know, he shoots 40% or whatever on, like like meager not like insane volume but like on decent volume and then like that will never happen again and it'll be like oh my gosh you know he's this good like shooters can have an outlandish stretch especially when their volume is fairly low and just because i don't know what it was at right now but there was a while where sohan's three-point shooting was like close to 40 or something mm -hmm. but it needs to be accuracy and volume yes. like you need to have both if you don't have both you're still not a good shooter and like yeah. the spurs are in need of that and right now you know when it comes to a player who you can trust to do that but to also not give up buckets on the other end like i'm looking at devin vazell vassell uh and i don't really know you know like some of their other shooters I think present problems on the defensive side yes, of the court. Yes. And so it's like they maybe have like three uh high quality shooters, two of them present problems on the other end, and then the other seven players in your rotation, you're not trusting to be a high volume shooter on above average efficiency. And that is an issue, <laughs> especially around a player like Wimby, who when he's at his apex, I think is going to need shooters around him to open up the interior for him. So I, I think on offense, it's totally a self-created issue. They need to be, they, they, they need to improve their shooting over the next couple off seasons on defense. The number of attempts is like you said, by design and the amount that opponents are making is kind of a luck thing in some regards. So it's hard because um, yeah. I do think there could be some things they do better, but I also don't think it's actually as bad as it looks. Okay. And, and just this, our, our next part of this discussion goes into exactly what you said about how some of their best shooters are the one are the players who are, are going to be, you know, are going to be minuses on defense. And that's where you, you lose that imbalance there. So let's just talk about um, players who get, you know, most of the, a lot of their shots from three. So players who get over 50% of their, their, their shot attempts from three point land, there's just three players on the Spurs roster. It's Doug McDermott, who, like you said, it's going to be, you know, he's not going to be a good defender on the other end. It's Jetty Osman. And then it's Devin Vassell. three players. That's it. Like that are basically at 50, 50% oh, or more of their shots from three. Um, um, so that so then um, you know you have your, the, the lower volume shooting, shooting players are like a Keldon Branham Collins uh, Wemby Jones Sohan and, and Bastian and like Jones um, who's shooting over a point per shot on on arc threes it's Keldon Trey Jones and Sohan but like you said they're very they're they're they're, they're a little bit low, more low volume to, um, type of players so so that's that's one issue for it and then number two is um, I just want to get your thoughts here is. You know, uh, I have this next category is like, we dare you to shoot. The defense is telling these players, we dare you to shoot, which cramps in the spacing. And so these are the players that get most of their shots from open three. Um, obviously, we know Bassey doesn't shoot threes, so so he's one of those players that, that, that they'll back off of. Uh, Collins, 83% of his shots come from, from wide open three. Um, Osmond, which he's actually a good shooter from wide open three, but 78%. Um, Branham, 72% of his shots are from wide open three. Trey Jones, 71%. 
Uh, Sohan, 65%. He's shooting well, though, 1.36 points per shot. And then Keldon, 45% of his shots, and, and uh, he's scoring 1.24. So the, the, the three players that the, that the defenses are guarding from three are Wemby, um, uh, McDermott, and, and Vassell. So what, just what are your thoughts on that in terms of how it, affects, it, it impacts their spacing, the fact that out of their 10-man rotation, basically um, seven of those players basically aren't guarded a lot, you know, very tightly at the three-point line. Yeah, I, I think um, Osman is surprising because, like you said, he's been one of the the stronger shooters. Um, I think part of that is he plays a good amount of the time with the starters, so mm-hmm. he might just be identified as like you know, and he's not really him and Wimby kind of generally will sub in for each other unless yes. it's like Wimby at the five lineup. Um, so part of me wonders if that's just like a threat evaluation. You know, you have Kelvin out there, you have Devin out there. Um, so is that kind of what's going on there? I'm not quite sure, but you know, you have to, it, it's hard because, you know, the whole idea of like shoot or shoot, you got to take the next shot. If you're open, you got to shoot. Yeah. Um, and I do think that Collins is better than what we've seen, mm-hmm. but I, I do wonder if they need to start adjusting his shot distribution a little bit, just because, um the shot really isn't there for him right now and there are other things he can do on offense from inside the arc that i feel like you know if you're shooting uh 83% wide open and uh 0.88 points per shot i mean wide open threes i think the average is 38 if it's not 38% it's higher mm-hmm. um and so that is i mean like almost a quarter of a point per shot worse than average that he's shooting right now and i do think he's a better shooter than that but i do think okay at this point teams are begging him to shoot and they're winning that gamble so like they need to change that um branham is interesting because he was like such a knockdown three-point shooter in college Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of like that's going to come around at some point but when is that going to be you know are we going to start to see that uptick at the end of the season is that going to be next year but yeah it's you know, it's kind of like what I was saying. Um, It's, you have three high volume, uh, good efficiency shooters on this team. And outside of that, it's, it's a little bit more difficult to find this outside shooting to the fact where, like you said, seven players are left wide open a good majority of the time. And that's kind of why I'm not quite as big of a believer on Sohan shot yet. Like, 65% 65% of the time it's wide open. He's converting those, which is great. Yes. Mm-hmm. But it's um, you know, only 21% of his total shots are arc threes. And so, you know, um I think shooting is a huge flaw with this roster construction right now. And I don't think that's something that's gonna be corrected until next season, you know, through the offseason or whatnot. Um, I think some players might rise a little bit, but I just I think that that's kind of a, a deficit on this roster right now. Okay, and one thing too to watch is uh, Wemby too. His his number of wide open threes it's slowly ticking up week by week. Like it was like there was like I think the first five or six games he he, he defense were giving him any wide open threes. Like he was like like always had somebody next to him at all times. And now we're kind of seeing sometimes on those pick and pops they're kind of just letting him shoot it. And so that's another you know that's something to watch too is as he gets on. Now luckily he actually shoots pretty well in spot ups, but he doesn't get many of those like like right there. So so again I think that that leads to that's a big issue for their spacing. Um, and so, like, our last topic, I, I basically went through and watched some films on more so the players that have difficulty shooting the three right now. I'm just going to give you some comments. Tell me if you agree or what you think these players can work on, maybe. And then we'll and then we'll talk about defense and what, what some of the, the things that I watched. So uh, regarding Keldon, um, like I said, he's not it's not too, too bad. The number um, 
for him. Uh, so all I see is that like defenses go under on his screens. They stand near the paint when, when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Uh, Wemby, um, he's, he's, he shoots a lot of those trailing threes, like where he's kind of coming, coming back, um, um, when the Spurs are on the, out on the break. Um, he also shoots some of those pull-up threes in transition. Uh, he shoots those step back inside his sidestep threes, uh, which are difficult shots, but you know, they, they do go in, um, some, some of the time. And then, um, like I said, he's pretty good when he's able to get his balance and get, and get a good spot up shot. Uh, Wemby is Collins. Um, what I see here is that, um, like you were kind of, what you just said is that defenses completely ignore him on pick and pops, um, and, and dribble handoffs. And so what I what I notice if you watch a lot of a lot of his um, shots it comes from Sohan's delivery so him and Sohan will run a pick a pick and pop and so immediately you know Sohan goes in there and and uh, Collins backs out and he's wide open nobody's even close to him since and Sohan the fact that he's learning this position as a point guard he sees oh my like that's the one guy who's wide open so he kicks it right back and then so of course Zach's wide open so he's going to take the shot and so that's why I wonder if Zach can do a little bit more like the Draymond Green thing like, like you know Draymond's already used to de- defenses just backing off of him from three so what he does is as soon as this you know Steph or Clay gives him the ball back he kind to like scours the defense sees where's the next pass or who, who's the next cutter i wonder if they can do that kind of action and then uh instead of him just quickly taking that three or and then if you know if, of course if the time's ticking down and he needs to shoot that three i mean you know, he can go ahead and hoist it uh he did make a comment i think it was today i saw it on matt tynan's um, matt tynan retweeted it's something about like he says that he's put a lot of work into his three-point shot so he's going to keep shooting for now the coaching staff and the players all want him to keep shooting they think they believe in that shot for him so maybe it will come around but but like you're saying you know after a while once we get a bigger enough sample size which 17 games is a pretty good sample size here um, you know, where, where, where do they make some, some, some shift there, uh, regarding Branham, I saw that, um, defenders go under him as well. Um, uh, or they stand near the paint instead of guarding him, uh, regarding Sohan defenses go um, way under, um, they give him space to shoot. Like you said, uh, they stay near the paint and then, uh, Trey Jones, uh, defense defenses go under as well on screens and handoffs. Uh, and then they, they also stand near the paint. So anything there that's that, that you wanted to comment on regarding the Spurs um, players on offense that, that are struggling from three. Yeah, I think, you know, something that is your note here on most of the players. Uh, and then it's not a note on Wimby and Collins, but I know what's happening on them too, is defenses go under or they back mm-hmm. up and, and back to paint, which makes life harder for everyone else. It makes hard for cuts. It makes hard for, you know, Keldon, he he is taking more of his shots from three than kind of I was maybe giving it credit for in some of our discussion just now. But you know that his first option is he wants to drive. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and... That's really difficult for him. Like he's able to get a little bit of penetration, but the paint is so packed in because these players are able to leave off the shooters and the the Spurs can't punish them for that, that it's making these drives difficult for him. And then, you know, even if he does outlet it to a shooter, you know, these are a lot of the times um, these players that the defense is willing to gamble and let take that shot because they might make the shot this time, but over the course of a game, they think that they're going to get more back on that end by giving up those shots. Um, one thing that you mentioned with Draymond, um, I was watching the Spurs, I think it was maybe two games ago, and I noticed like a little bit of a delay type action with Collins at the top of the key. You know, he spotted a cutter on the move. I think it was Sohan. He just hit him, easy layup, you know, yeah. and, and Collins has that vision and he yeah, has he that passing skill. Mm-hmm. I think if, if they varied it enough, don't make him not shoot completely, but if they turned those pick and pops into like, okay, it's a pick and pop that now leads to delay and their screening action and off-ball movement, he is good enough at that to hit players on the move. And I think if you just mix it up with some of that delay action or like you're, you're saying, like short roll reads, like just do something uh, to where now all of a sudden the defense has to give you attention because at the end of the day, Zach Collins' three-point shooting isn't going to make or break this team. 
but defenses willing to stand so far off of him is. So if he can at least make defenses, especially if he's the five, so it's probably going to be a four or a five, stand out with him. Like, I mean, just think about how much easier Wimby's life is if one of the two taller players on the court, maybe they only play one big, the five is up having to respect Collins, and now Wimby has a size inside. So I think, like you, uh, maybe if they can just – he can still do those – like pick and pop, but just something to mix it up. I I completely understand he's a shooter. Shooters are going to shoot. It wouldn't be wise to completely excise that from his diet, but I do think, you know, maybe some of that delay type action um, would be a good way to get him some playmaking at the top of the key. As you were talking about Keldon a while ago about saying like how he wants to, his first instinct is to drive. It reminds me of why Wemby doesn't get, you know, he's so efficient in the paint, but that's another reason why he doesn't get as many touches in there. And why, um, you know, anytime they try to throw him an alley-oop or like try to get him like a post-up, you see two or three defenders immediately like around his body or like they try to get their hands in there. And that's one of the reasons too, is the fact that they, like not only is this affecting Keldon, this is impacting Wemby as well, get, being able to get into the paint and score at his most efficient area, uh, these, these issues with the spacing. Okay, and our last uh, our last part of this discussion is let's talk about just the defense. So again, I watched I watched a bunch of film last night, uh, and I just wanted, I started jotting down some notes of some of the issues going on with their defense. And there's multiple factors, like you mentioned earlier. So here's just a few of them that I jotted down. Um, so so one thing that they're doing on defense is they're helping too much inside the paint or, or on dribble penetration. Um, no one rotates when a player helps. Um, there's they have difficulty with transition threes. They're not contesting those well. Uh, they're bigs, both Wemby and um, Collins. They play a lot of, of drop defense on pick and rolls and dribble handoffs, and also um, Charles Bassey. Uh, the Spurs go under on screens uh, on screens uh, up top, uh, and then on most pick and rolls, if you watch when they when they when they put San Antonio on defense, um, they the defense usually gets good three point looks if they can do at least two passes. So maybe kick out to the corner, and then that that guy swings to the next guy in the arc because the Spurs are just having difficulty rotating, or the the the, the guard dribbles in, he kicks out to the to the arc, and then that player kicks out to a corner three that's pretty much open. So that's something I notice is if, they, if there's like two or three uh, passing actions in a set for for an offense, they usually get a, a a good open three. And then some of this too is by design. So if we go back to a comment that Trey Jones made back on November eighth. Just a few weeks ago, he said this, we're trying to protect the pain a lot and keep teams outside the pain as much as possible, keeping them away from the basket and getting the easy looks. Sometimes uh, teams will get open threes, but we have to be able to rotate on the backside and take those away or at least contest them, if anything. And so, so again, that might be designed, the fact that they really want to just take away the pain as much as possible. But then we, when we even look at the numbers, they're 22nd in um, opponent paint scoring, they're 23rd in opponent dunk layup range makes, and 22nd in, in dunk layup accuracy. So it's not like, the, you know, it's not like they're like this juggernaut at stopping teams from getting the paint. Teams are still getting in there. Um, so just, uh, again, that's a multitude of things. What are your, what are your thoughts on some of those observations? And I, I know I've seen this on your Twitter feed as well. Some of these rotations and things like that. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think with the helping, a big part of it is I think the Spurs just need to learn when to help. And they are a young team and there is a mm-hmm. lot of um, inexperience yes. there. But I think it's kind of like, hey, if if Wimby is defending someone one on one, like don't help. Let him do it. If the opponent scores, you take that. Same with Sohan. Like that's I think the ones that drive me crazy is you know, when there's a ball handler and Sohan is defending the ball handler and it's like, he doesn't even have a chance to lose that battle. And like another one of the perimeter guys just shift over and all of a sudden now there's an opening, you know, I think yeah. there are times where helping is appropriate, but then they're like um, in the Nuggets game with Jokic, where uh, obviously Jokic kind of had a strong matchup against Collins, but every single time there would be help. I mean, there was, and I posted about this, there was a time where, um, like the 
the person on the same um, slot as the post that Jokic was in came off of their guy to double. And it's like, okay, that's now one pass away and it's Jokic. Yeah. Like he's going to hit that pass. Yes. Um, like you have to come from the weak side if you're going to come at all. But part of me is even like, I know that Jokic is extremely efficient, but at some point, maybe we just say, well, okay, then make him score over Collins all game, have him score 40 points. But then I think that you're still in the game because every time you double him, he's able to find the open shooter and they're going to knock it down. So it's, it's, Helping is fine. I think it's just knowing when to help. And like you said, if the whole strategy is to stop paint attempts, like they're not even doing that either. <laughs> yeah. So I think maybe just playing a little bit more straight up, especially depending on who it is. I think it might just be one of those, like I know back in the day, 10 years ago, um, Pop only gave certain players the pull-up jumper and transition green light. Yeah, I remember. Uh, Danny Green was one of those guys who got that permission. Yeah. Yeah, I think him and Patty were like the two big ones. And now it's like, Maybe they need that same thing for it's like, hey, if it's Wimpy one-on-one, just let it happen. If it's Sohan, if it's Devin, just let it happen. And then in other situations, then maybe you're a little bit more active with your help because it, it's kind of frustrating when you see a strong defender on another offensive player and then one of the weaker defenders on the team rotates over to help and you're kind of like, why are you helping now? Like, I, It's hard because I'm trying to analyze it from a schematic standpoint and part of me is just like, was that a mistake? Like, was he supposed to do? I, I just don't know what's happening here. And then there's an open three-point shooter. So it, it's hard. I just, I think that the the helping a little bit less would probably be good. But like you said, it's part of their scheme. So I don't know if it's just an experience thing and running that base defense more would get them in a better place with it. But yeah, sometimes like it, it is bewildering, I think was the word I used because you're like, it was that person supposed to help there or did they just like freelance off of their guy? Like I have no idea what I'm watching sometimes. <laughs> exactly. Of course, we're not privy to those, you know, those discussions with the coaches right. of what they exactly want. And so one thing you mentioned there was that they are a young team. So, you, you know, you do expect these mistakes, especially, you know, they're adding a player now like in Wemby who can cover so much ground defensively. And, you know, he's in different spots all over the floor. Um, and so, and that's one thing too, I noticed uh, one more just, just popped in my head right now is that like, we know that the teams are not shooting near him. Like they definitely stay away from his side of the court. So then they're operating and doing everything on the opposite side. And that's what they're, that's what they're trying to do here. And um, I think these three days that they're off might help them a little bit in this regard. And the fact that pop always mentions how, you know, they, they, the, the teams need practice, you know, they just need to work on their execution. And so this might be something that we might see a little bit of a benefit from when they return to the court on Thursday, the fact that they've had multiple days, I'm sure pop's been drilling about, you know, just help side and you know what, what they need to be doing on rotations and things like that so um that that might be something maybe it's gonna it's gonna help with the fact that they've had some practice time finally with these three days off so again we'll kind of see what happens again it was just one one discussion i wanted to have it was a good discussion colin with you on that on just getting your thoughts picking your brain on on what their their issues from the three-point line because like i said when you look at the at the total scoring points three-point area is the area that they are getting by outscored um the most there on the on the court so thank you to Colin for joining me here on this episode of the Spurs cast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review on YouTube and your favorite podcast apps. This episode is written, recorded, and produced by Paul Garcia. From all of us at Project Spurs, stay safe and have a great day.